Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode number 10 of the Success Series. I'm your host, David Berg, and I'm here alongside our co-host, Michael Konowski, and our guest of today is Adam Greenfield. Adam, pleasure having you on today. Adam has a great story. He's from Brooklyn, New York initially, now lives in Venice, California. We're actually at his residence here in, uh, near Santa Monica. Adam is a multiple-time founder. His most recent and well-known company is Thesis, the world's first nootropics brand. Very successful. You can find them anywhere online, whether it's via social, their website. Um, product is readily available and it helps, so I highly recommend checking it out. Adam, we look forward to hearing more about your story and would love for you to, to kick it off and share with us. Cool, dude. I, um, well, I'm thrilled to be here. Um, and I'm honored that, uh, that you felt that I, m- I might be able to bring something. So I actually originally grew up in upstate New York, a little town about an hour north of the city. Um, I'd say one one interesting part about me as a child is like I was obsessed with superheroes. Um, but not in the way where I would like look at a superhero and I'd be like, oh, that's interesting. I would look at a superhero and be like, how do I figure out how to do that? That led me into being like, well, you know, from a very young age, like how do I become super strong? And so I remember like, well, actually it started with how do I, how do I learn how to fight? So I would like see them teenage mutant Ninja Turtles and I was like, I can, I can, I can do that. And so I remember having my mom um, enter me into karate when I was like five or six. Right. And by the time I was 12, I was second degree black belt and traveling all over. Um, and I got obsessed. And then, um, later on, shortly thereafter, it was like, how do I become incredibly strong? And so like, you know, eighth grade, I'm like in the gym, like obsessed, lifting, squatting, like, and, and so by the time I was even like a senior in high school, um, you know, I was <laughs> Watts really, really strong. And, um, and then as I got older in college and specifically after college, it was like more around my brain and my consciousness and like, was I able to bend reality with my brain, with my mind? And was I able to like, was ESP real? Like, and so I think that that was that obsession with becoming the superhero is not only what led me to like going super deep into spirituality, but also going super deep into a lot of this like brain and neurohacking that led to thesis um, and this like curiosity about how powerful is the human brain? Um, What is it truly capable of? How fast can it be? How smart can I get? Um, how focused can I be? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the more of the origin story on, on thesis and, you know, full transparency, I spent all of my 20s working for the NBA team, the Brooklyn Nets. I left when I was 30. I went and backpacked in Asia for six months and then came back um, and kind of like sunk myself into the world of like venture backed startups and started a bunch of companies. Uh, they all failed. Wow. Um, How many? Uh, four. Wow. Um, until thesis. And um, I think that there was like a lot of things that I figured out by that time, um, both like very practical ways of, of building companies 
but also like infusing spirituality and like understanding intention and passion and understanding like building something that is actually going to make the world a better place to live in. And even if you look at um, the way that we hired people, the, the way that we trained people, the way that we developed people, um, the way that we worked with investors, it all had very deep spiritual underpinnings to it. Um, yeah. Oftentimes, that's incredible. We're going to have to break that down for sure. The Asia story, the multiple failures and ultimately a success. But usually it starts at the childhood and, and how people were raised or a big impact on their professional career. What was your family dynamic like growing up? Are you an only child? Did you have siblings? If you could just kind of guide us through that. Totally. Um, complete unfair advantage. I have like, I was raised by angels as, as you guys were as well. Um, you know, like deeply spiritual parents who went to the Kabbalah Center, who brought me to the Kabbalah Center, um, who were, you know, in, it, it was so funny. I talk about this all the time. It's like where most kids, they grow up in like Billy Joel, the Rolling Stones is playing in the background. Like in my house, it was like Tony Robbins and Deepak Chopra. <laughs> That's um, incredible. So it was just like bookshelves filled with self-development stuff. Obviously, uh, the Rob stuff. But honestly, like growing up, I really didn't resonate with, with Kabbalah much. Um, my parents found the center when I was maybe like 16, 17. And I kind of had a, a big aversion to it. Sure. It wasn't until... Like I was in my twenties, they had kind of stepped away a little bit. And then I was able to choose it on my own that, that I like really found my path. But like, you know, think about like Brian Tracy and Zig Ziglar and E-Myth and all of like the, this was the topic of conversation at the dinner table every night. Wow. Um, and you know, my mom, anytime anything went wrong was just like, thank you, God. Thank you for giving me this challenge. And like this was like her default, right? And she was so unheard of. She was yeah. so certain, and so I'm. I do. Ha- I do have a little bit of uh, unfair advantage. Now it's funny because my sister is wonderful, but she like doesn't really resonate with much of this stuff, right? Is she spiritual by nature? I think. I don't think. I think she. Yeah, she's spiritual. I wouldn't say like she found the path and found a teacher and has like this regimented thing and this. Li- but I think like the way that she looks at the world is with through a lot of love and she understands like energies and she understands like there are multiple forces at play that we can't necessarily sense with our five senses, but have a massive impact on, on our happiness. And it's very spiritual. Yeah. It's very spiritual. love. I think love and spirituality is literally what it is. Yeah. So I give her credit for that. For very sure. cool. And then, so when you were growing up as a young child, early teenager, was there always an aspiration? I know you wanted to be a superhero, but did that ever format into being an entrepreneur or, or did you think you were going to work for somebody else? I, I think I always knew I wasn't going to be a superhero. I thought I could have superhero. What was your favorite superhero, by the way, and really inspired you? Superman. Superman, Superman, right. yeah, yeah. Superman and the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> and the Ninja Turtles. Yeah. Nice. So also the cape, flying, right? Also yeah, the, it was just like super, super yeah, smart. Nice. Yeah. Good looking. Totally. I, I, def- I definitely wanted to be, I definitely wanted to be good looking. <laughs> I got it. You got it. Good luck. <laughs> you know, I grew up in the eighties and nineties. It like wasn't cool to be a founder yet. Really? Like, when you guys, when you guys grew up, it was like you know, Zuckerberg's my age. We went to we're the exact same age. We went to college the same year, and so like 
No, I, I wanted to be I wanted to be a baseball player and then I wanted to be a sportscaster. I wanted to be a sportscaster all the way until I went to college. And then in college I just want just wanted to have money. Um and so that took me into sales. And I, and I did sales for 10 years. My first no, it was for the Nets? It was the Nets for seven years. And then there was a, a year afterward where I took another sale. Like a, a, I did sales at a venture-backed business. Okay. And then when you're working for the Nets, is that as glamorous as it sounds? Are you exposed to the team? Are you going no, to the game? of course it's not. <laughs> it sounds nice it's saying you work for the Brooklyn Yeah, yeah right? I know. <laughs> It's never that. It's never that sexy. <laughs> Run us through how, what, what did that look like? What did your nine to five look like when you were? Oh my God. So when I started working for the Nets, I was literally a boiler room sales guy. Like, really? Like, lists of numbers, you know, phone calls. Like, I'm 23 years old. I'm just calling everyone. Back then, we were still in New Jersey. I'm just calling anyone I can, trying to get them to come to a game. But it, like, black coffee all day. I'm yes. Just, in a, in a room, a dark room. Dude, no windows in really? this room, drop ceilings, oh, neon lights, yeah. or whatever, fluorescent lights. It's the start of a horror movie, right? You Dude, can still visualize it. To... It's completely. Um, but, like, you know, like, they had their process, and, it, you know, it was, like, built like all these organizations where, you know, you kind of wanted to continue to get these little improvements, improvements, improvements. And, you know, I really... You know, there were there were great guys around me. I still revere the guys that I worked for there. My direct bosses learned. I learned so much from, and they were um, incredible guys. Um, the only people that make money in sports are the players. <laughs> Everybody else is just and part yeah, of the ride. May, maybe the agents, right? Um, Everybody else is every scraping. everyone else is scraping. Like all these teams run at massive deficits. Really? Um, I mean, think about it, right? Like, in, t- I mean, I don't want to quote numbers and sure. like, but like, if you make twenty million bucks a year from all ticket sales total, the entire from the entire season, twenty million bucks, it's not even one person's salary. Not even is one- that considered good? Is like what? what- so yeah, that's oh, twenty million is is around where it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's horrible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then ma- and then maybe another yeah. ten, fifteen million from sponsorships. So sure. like revenue you're paying for one you're paying for your star player and the rest of the team is is that a deficit yeah these these teams and so like you know guys like my first salary i think was 27 then i got then i got a promotion to 35 well that was 15 years so yeah that's like 2007 2008 that's like 50 60,000 today right something like that maybe that maybe that yeah okay so it's funny most of the founders we've spoken with thus far have started in sales to one degree or another Our last episode, he actually said that the only reason why he became a founder was because he knew he was good at sales. Mm-hmm. Does that is that the same story for you? Did that tie into your process of becoming a founder? The fact that you were a sales guy first. Um, I'm a sales guy, and thus the things that I do as a founder. I mean, it helps so much. In what areas? Oh, God. Okay, so as a founder. All right, so there's a thing. So there's as a founder, and then there's as a CEO. So there. There's slightly different job descriptions, but so as a founder, like the only thing I need to do is get really clear on my vision and enroll people in your vision. You're enrolling service providers, you're enrolling customers, you're enrolling partners, influencers in your vision, you're enrolling employees in your vision. Um, Your all I do is sell every day, all day. 
even to this day. It's everything. Yeah, even my new company. Yeah. Um, if you look at what I'm doing, it's, you know, I'm hiring people. We're bringing in new clients. I'm motivating the team that I already have. Um, now I take on a little bit more of a creative role, but not, but that's just because I want to, not because I have to. For the... Yeah, I'm, I'm probably not. I'm probably the least creative person at our company. Really? And you're pretty creative. You're very creative. And that's yeah, that's yeah, saying yeah. a lot. Pretty creative. Yeah. Everything now is is selling, whether it's, you know, early stage, a founder needs to get investment, which is all sales, mm-hmm. needs to build a product. But like, if they're not technical, they need to enroll other people, generally really highly qualified product developers, whether it's software, we'll take software, for example. Sure. So like you need to find really talented engineers to like build your V1 of your product for you. Or you need to like um, recruit uh, a technical co-founder. It's all sales. Um, It's like the most valuable skill that I have, hands down. Um, And it continue and it will, it will always be. And even look at like some of the stuff I do on my personal life, right? Like getting big groups together and hosting events and like, yeah, like all the things that I understood about human psychology and making people feel warm and welcome and loved and seen. The most valuable skill I think I have as a human being is my ability to ask questions, which is direct sales training. Right. Right. Um, So for me in the way that, but like you could interview someone who's more creative or you could interview someone who's, you know, more operational minded. And like, those are the roles that they take on as founder. And then, then CEO, especially like the way that kind of like Y Combinator will define like the role of a CEO, it's to set vision, um, hire people, hire great people, delegate to them and make sure the company is well capitalized. It's like those three. Those are the three pillars. And so two of them are sales. Right. Bring in the right people. And vi- vision, right. vision is a little bit of creativity, but, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of what vision is, vision is articulated through research. Um, you have to know what the problem is so deeply and you need to understand like what is what is possible in this world to like really set like the vision for a company, right. in my opinion. And I learned a lot of research skills through sales. Really? Just yeah, through the I mean, process of understanding people. Yeah, and, like sure. prospecting, yep. like constantly reading like industry periodical or like industry news and like trying to figure out who's doing what and like, you know, what, you know, what company just signed a massive deal that like I can like leverage see, them. Yeah, <laughs> yep. write them a little note and be like, hey, we should chat. Right. Shit like that. Absolutely. So you mentioned college before. Did you? A lot of our guys hadn't finished college, and girls that we've interviewed. Did you stick out the whole four years? I did the whole four years. Do you feel it was worthwhile at any point in your career? Did you look back and say, "Thanks, I went to college for that, and it helped me here"? Um, I wouldn't send my kid to college. Really, point blank. No. Wow. Um, I would if if he if he or she gets into Harvard, Yale, or an Ivy, or Stanford, I'll pay for it. Sure. Other than that. Um, I would, again, I don't have a wife right? and I haven't, yeah. I haven't uh, confirmed this, but this is my vision. Um, I earmark $150,000 and I say, 
Here's $50,000. Go backpack for a year. Hmm. You have $50,000, which will get them very far, especially if, if they know how to travel. Um, you'll come back, you'll have $100,000, and you're going to start a company. And I'm going to like take you through like an accelerator program. Sure. And you're going to touch every part. And so you're going to run that for a year, and you have $100,000 to invest however you want. And by the end of that year, year and a half, two years, you would have had, you would have had touched so many parts of the business, legal, finance, marketing, hiring, logistics, supply chain, all of these different parts where you know for certain, like, here's where I want to play more. Yeah, I loved writing copy on the website. Oh, maybe you're a writer. I, I loved making videos for marketing. Okay, maybe you're a production person. Yeah, marketer. Um, I, loved, I loved, like, doing all the legal compliance stuff. Okay, so maybe legal. I loved balancing the books. Great, maybe you're in finance. Um, or they're just like, I really like being a founder. Right. But the, I learned more in the first six months starting a company, maybe even three months starting a company than I did in the four years in college. Um, and then I learned more six months traveling. There's been two times where I've like done long swaths of traveling. One was study abroad in, in my senior year in college. And the other was this like long six month backpack trip between careers. And um, vulnerability, mm. vulnerability, and um, you are out there in an area where you just have no idea what, like, what's you don't speak the language. You're sleeping in a foreign place. You're at a hostel. It's hot. You're in the jungle. You're moving around. You're meeting all these people so quickly from all over the world. You're observing ingesting you're walking around you're just seeing your brain is being expanded and exposed to things so far outside of its um comfort zone and you have freedom to listen to your intuition and say you know i would wake up in the morning and be like i want to go to this country today i jump on skyscanner i buy a ticket by six o'clock that night i'd be on a plane and it, it's the combination of all of those plus the agency, plus the ability to be like, I want to do this, exit, and then do it. Mm. And then see where that leads you. Um, and doing it in this way where it was like unplanned, fly by the seat of your pants, everything, all of the belongings you have fit in a backpack on your back, um, you know, kind of like in and out of the hostel game. I think what is very, very valuable. Has it helped you in your, in your business? Did you get some ideas for thesis ultimately from your, your traveling in Asia? I mean, I think th uh, the greatest lesson that I learned in Asia, which completely led to me becoming a founder, was this deep, under this deep feeling and embodiment of my ability to change the world. So I'll, I'll give. I know ex I can pinpoint the exact moment that it happened. I everywhere that I went when I was in Asia, I volunteered. I hate being alone, and I said because I learned from the Kabbalah Center, like the best way to connect with people is through sharing. The best way to connect with the light is sharing, and so I was like, everywhere that I go, I'm going to ensure that I'm being of service. And I, and I trust 
And I'm certain that that will make sure that I'm never alone if I'm always of service. So everywhere I went, I, I uh, seeked out a volunteer opportunity. So I was in Thailand um, and I had found this orphanage. Um, it was about three and a half hours north of Bangkok in this little town called Singbori. And um, when I showed up the first day, they were doing construction. They were building these cement walls to, because the rainy season was coming. And so, you know, I have no construction background. I've never, I'm like, a, I'm, I'm a Jewish kid from yeah, upstate yeah, New York. Yeah. Like my dad hired someone to do everything. Right. But I got in there and I'm, you know, like kind of like carrying bricks and laying, laying grout or whatever it is. And, um, all of a sudden I was like, Hey, like, why don't, why don't we do it like a completely different way? And all those dudes looked at me and they were like, well, you know, there's a guy from New York, from New York, Maybe successful. He knows a bit more. <laughs> I am go- And these guys completely ignored yes. 30 years of construction background. To listen to you? To listen to me and changed wow. everything. Wow. And all of a sudden I realized how powerful I am. And everywhere else I went, I realized like the influence that we have as Americans, educated, experienced Americans, um, blew my mind. And I noticed right then and there, I was like, I... I truly have the ability to impact the entire world. And it went from like just saying it, like we're going to build a global company. I'm going to change the world to being like, oh, that is how it does. That's how it goes. Right. Um, And so like just got planted in my brain. And so once I got back and then started to discover the world of, you know, venture backed businesses and scalable tech you realize like you can build a product and tens of millions or hundreds of millions or billions of people can use it and find out about it. Um, And I just, and it was, you know, it was like middle 2010s and, you know, everything was being disrupted by some type of scalable uh, technology. Um, Yeah. And that was, and, and even so it was just like, that is why we started Thesis. That is why I was so obsessed with starting Thesis. Um, was just like, you know, the impact, the the way that the way that the world will look when everyone has twenty percent more access to their brain, or fifteen percent more focus throughout the day. I could see very quickly. You know, you give a judge. 20% more focus and how many more innocent people stay out of jail. Right. You give a doctor 20% more focus, 30% more focus or energy. How many more people can they save? You give a special ed teacher mm. like 20% more focus. How many more children can they help? And then how many more of their parents can now <sighs> breathe for a second, breathe for a second because they know and like, those are all examples of real customers who like wrote to us being like, really I am a judge, stories. I am a doctor, I am a legislator, I am a special ed teacher. Can you tell us a little bit about what nootropics is, Yeah, how it works, the science, as nitty gritty as you can about it? Yeah, yeah. so nootropics um, are basically nutrients that make your brain work better. Um, a lot of times... Um, 
one's inability to focus, stay energized, be creative, problem solve, find the right words, um, not procrastinate is not a personality trait. It is an imbalance in chemicals in your brain. Um, and once those chemicals are either replenished or um, kind of treated in the proper way, given the right environment to operate in, um, that's when you see massive increases uh, in focus. And so they're called neurotransmitters, these chemicals, for the most part. Um, there's also, and so basically what nootropics are is they are nutrients. There's thousands of them. And they kind of uh, exist on a spectrum that some are natural, some are man-made, um, that have a direct impact on the neurotransmitters in your brain, which are the chemicals in your brain that allow you to think fast, come up with new ideas, process information quicker, channel the right words, stay energized, stay focused. Um, and so the nootropics work on what, what researchers believe is like one of five things. Either they increase the amount of the neurotransmitter, they... Uh, prevent the reuptake of neurotransmitters. So do you want me to go really I do. I, okay. go, yeah. People are technical that listen to this, and so I think they'll appreciate the, okay. the details of it. So basically the way I explain it is like um, the the cells in your brain, neurons, don't actually touch. They They have these tentacles, and they get really, really close, but like there's this space between them called the synapse. And what's happening trillions of times a second is these neurotransmitters are getting pushed out of one and they're living for a micro, micro, microsecond in the synapse and then being uptaken by the next. And it's mo and they're literally happening trillions of times a second. Wow. It's all all happening in the mind. All the time. Wow. Constantly. Trillions of times. And basically what ends up happening is, you know, this, say this... Uh, this neuron will spit out a hundred neurotransmitters, whether they're the ones that you know are like dopamine, serotonin, uh, oxytocin is one, um, norepinephrine is one, GABA is one, acetylcholine is one. And they will, they'll get spit out and then they'll get, they'll get taken up by this side. Now, n not all of them get taken up by this side. Um, and then what ends up happening is whatever is left in the synapse will get washed away. Okay. And so there are certain neurotrans, there are certain um, nootropics like Adderall works like this, where it prevents the reuptake of the neurotransmitters. So in, in the Adderall's case, dopamine gets pushed out, dopamine gets received, and then all the extra dopamine um, would normally get washed away, but with sits there. sits there. And then the next time this guy accepts it, there's so much more available. Mm. And so it's, a, it's an additional dose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, it's kind of like those additional dose. Why do you crash with that at all? Um, because it where like it's <laughs> you go through all of it. Oh, so all the dopamine's been. Fed. I mean, so the yeah. the, re the reason the brain, cra you know, instead I'm I'm not as. Um, technically savvy on um, what, like the mechanisms on Adderall sure. specifically in, in the crash. Um, I do know Adderall is very neurotoxic. Um, 
I experienced for many years the crash of Adderall and the crash of Ritalin and the crash of Vyvanse. What are the guarantees or what are the promises of nootropics for one who suffers with attention disorder or anything of that sort? Yeah, so nootropics don't cure... We we can't say like it cures a disease. Sure. I think what it does... And they don't work for everybody. They definitely don't work for everybody. Um, I think... I got very lucky that they worked really well for me. And on average with Thesis, um, about 85% of the people that try Thesis, it works for. It's pretty which good. Is, which is really, really great. Yeah. Um, and it makes for a very healthy business when 85% of your customers are, experience are happy and want to buy it again. Um, was there one particular thing that happened in your past that made you want to do uh, this pill and this medicine that helped you? Yeah. I... Um, I, there was a, a moment in 2016. I was working on another company. It was a fashion company with a, a dear mentor of mine. What was the brand? Um, it was called Cabana at the time. Um, with And I was working for a, a guy who I revere and love and learned so much from. Um, but we were, I had taken on a lot of responsibility and he'd given me a lot of responsibility more responsibility than I should have had um, and more responsibility than I was ready for. I was deeply underqualified for this job. And um, because I loved him so much and looked up to him so much, I like would, was like forcing myself to try to like be successful as like this head of operations of, of this fashion company. And I was like drowning. I was underwater. I was handing in, projects late i was forgetting things i was yeah it was a lot a lot of i was making a lot of promises and and not delivering on them and in complete like um desperation i ended up calling a buddy of mine um who was a serial founder and i was just like dude i'm working 18 hours a day i keep failing over and over again i'm really letting them down like I need help, and so he comes in, and he um, he like observes me for a day, and hmm. he goes, he goes, listen, strategically, I don't think you're doing that much wrong. Sure. I think the problem is you can't focus on any one thing long enough to complete it. He's like, you're you're here, and then you're there. You're like a monkey jumping around the office. Like no wonder why you can't hand anything in. You have like fifty five projects going on, and right. like you're just you like tap to tap to tap to phone call to right. yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Like this opportunity, that opportunity, right? Blah, 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 blah. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and and he's like, um, I don't think you need strategy. I think you need focus. And he's like, Have you ever tried nootropics before? And I, yeah. I'd really never heard of nootropics um, prior to that. But he gave it to me, and I, the, that was on a Friday, and so I took the Monday morning, went to the gym. Uh, at that point, I was training like competitive CrossFit, so it was like six a.m. But like getting after it. And I remember for our audience, what were you, what were you lifting at the time? What was like your pullover press or what was your, uh, it was like, I was probably clean and jerk, like 275 benching, like 335 squatting, like 415. Jeez. Okay. So you were, you were in it. I was strong. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you're still, so you're, are you still lifting at that level? No, no. (laughs) You moved to Venice. You picked up surfing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm living in Venice. I'm surfing. (laughs) Two herniated discs later. I don't even pick up a barbell anymore. Really? Dumbbell only. 
Uh, I work out at a place now that's like specifically for people with sports injuries. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah. We won't call it an all day trauma. Yeah. yeah. Um, Anyways. The, um, so I, I, I remember training that morning and just feeling like I was wearing horse blinders. It was, I was so focused. I was so efficient. All of the other clatter, I, I couldn't hear anything except like the barbell hitting the floor. Um, and I remember going in on that Monday morning and normally we would do a, a f- you know, first thing Monday morning, we do like a planning meeting for the week. Normally I would go in at nine and I would, that meeting would last until like 1130, 12. Cause, cause we would open up the floor sure. this day. I remember walking out 35 minutes later because I was just so focused. Boom. Next thing, next thing, next thing I wasn't getting off. And then for the rest of the day, I was just like, so locked in again, I felt like I just had horse blinders on, like all, everything had quieted. It was only the project that was right in front of me. And then the, 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 the most measurable difference that I felt with nootropics, um, which really kind of like, was like, holy shit, why doesn't the whole world know about these things was, you know, at that point, I think I had like seven or eight direct reports. And we had a culture in our office of like, got a minute meetings. They'd like come into my office. Hey, can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? And like normally, like if I'm doing something, if I'm doing deep work and someone would pull me out, it would take me like 15, 20 minutes to recalibrate back into deep work. On nootropics, I would be able to go back to deep work in two minutes. Really? Yeah. And so at an average of like 10 got a minute meetings a day, it was saving me like 15 minutes yeah two and a half hours yeah yeah yeah. so i was like literally getting two and a half hours back it's incredible it was incredible and there was no large-scale nootropics that this was just a buddy of yours who recommended it worked for him and yeah then the light bulb went off okay where there's a business here it worked for me totally Uh, yeah it was just like why doesn't the whole world know about this (laughs) right like if it does this to me like holy shit Uh, i was like are these safe are these legal like what how, how does not everybody, how is not everybody using this now? Must have been the thought, right? Been, yeah, how is not yeah. everyone using it? How many years of building nootropics before it was ready to be launched as a product? Recommendation engine that was able to help predict what you should be taking. So that trial took two years from the beginning of 2017 to the end of 2018. Um, and then we launched... Originally, we were called Formula. Okay. Um, we launched in May of 2019. Um, and then we went through an accelerator. We really figured out growth and like marketing uh, towards the end of 2019. Pandemic hit. It was awesome. It was the greatest thing for the business, right? The greatest thing for the yeah. business. Growth went like this. Um, we, you know, 100% online um, in a moment where everyone's stuck inside and still has jobs. And have the distraction of the kids in the house, yeah, and the wife, and totally, totally. And then you know all the acquisition costs on Facebook went down, yeah. And so we became really, really good, like Facebook marketers and acquisition marketers, um, yeah. And now you guys are what number twelve fastest growing company in the world? Is that is that? Yeah, we were twelve on the Inc. Five Thousand list. Yeah, which is which is really humbling. You you touched on it briefly, but there was four failed companies. Yeah. I, I'm all about, that's my personality too, just keep going, just keep going. But after fourth company not working, wasn't there a moment where you're like, you know what, this isn't for me. I'll go back, I'll be the head of operations, I'll be the head of sales. 
Where did that internal drive come from? I just thought it would be really fun. And really? I kept getting better. I, every time, yeah. every time I did a company, like I, I was just better at being a founder. And I would, each company I was getting further and further and further, and I was seeing all the things. I have a really high... So there's a couple things. One is I'm a very simple man in terms of like my lifestyle. I don't need a lot. Um, I don't need a lot. I don't spend a lot of money. I deeply enjoy working. Mm -hmm. And that was the other thing. Um, it was actually one of our friends from the Kabbalah Center um, who always used to tell me, you can work a job you hate, make a lot of money, and then eventually do what you like want to do. Sure. Or you can like just do what you want to do. Like just skip skip the whole like I need to make a lot of money and then I'll be happy. Right. And it's just like, well, what if I could just do something that I would do for free anyway and see if I can make money at it? And, you know, starting companies, honestly, for me is like very gamified. Really? Yeah. You enjoy it? Yeah. What do you enjoy about it? I love it. Really? The whole, even when it's painful and the money's not being raised and... Yeah. Really? Yeah. I do. Because if, if you're selling a product, like for me, it's like, it's all around like, are you selling a product that makes the world a better place to live? The greatest business lesson I ever learned was from Eitan Yardeni. And I remember, you know, I can remember exactly where I was when he said this and he was like... Um, he was talking about business. It was in one of these business classes. And uh, he was like, you can't control someone's happiness. You know, everyone's like so concerned about making our employees happy. Right. Um, what we can control is their excitement. Mm. And it's very rare. And so now I broker on excitement. I broker on inspiration. My currency is inspiration. I go to work every day trying to get inspired, not necessarily trying to make money. Because I know if I'm inspired... The money Good will follow. fucking luck keeping me down. Really? Yeah. If I'm inspired, everything I'm going to be creative. I'm going to do it. And, I, and we, I have access if I really wanted to anybody. Sure. If I had a great product that I know changes the world, and I can, I can access anyone. I can access the greatest investors. I can access the greatest CEOs. I can access the greatest engineers. Like, if I'm inspired, like, 100%. Um, and I know it. And like they're, you know, and just when, when I have it, I'll have it, right. you know. And so, um, so Eitan said is like, we're brokering on excitement. And so there's an equation that leads into excitement. And it's a, it, it's when you add, um, someone's deep feeling that they are impacting either the world or someone outside of themselves um, meaning that they're that they feel like what they do makes other people's lives better, whether it's like on a massive global scale or even like the four people that work around them, plus constant improvement. So, are what is what you're doing making the world for or people around you easier to live in? Plus, are you leaving every day a better improving on something? And that is a promise that I have made to every single person that we've hired, that I've ever, that I've hired since then. And it works 100% of the time. It has never failed me. And, and that is exactly how I look at my life too. 
I was like, the only things I need to, the only in inputs that I need to ensure I'm giving myself every day is time and space to learn and um, only working on things that I know make the world a better place. We've heard that side of it. We've heard the professional side, a bit of the personal. What does Adam Greenfield do for fun? Yeah. And I know you enjoy your work, so that might be a redundant question. No, I mean, what, what, else, do you, what else do you do? Well, I, I love, since moving to LA, I definitely have a really good relationship with the ocean. So surfing a lot. Um, I have a great little crew out here, guys from Cabal Center and some others. Um, and we surf once or twice a week, nice. which I love. Um, go to Burning Man every year. Yep. It's a massive, massive part of my life and uh, has made a enormous change on who I, I believe I am and how comfortable I am with myself and how, how okay I am being my most authentic, weird version of me. And I think other people are inspired by it as, as well. I know my parents are. If some of them offense about going to Burning Man and a lot of their friends do, what would, what would you tell them to expect from going there? I marvel at the how big human creativity can be. And there you see it. You see the costumes and the structures and these encampments and how much detail and time and energy goes into just building the infrastructure. And then the art cars and the music and the, the art installations. It is like, holy shit, human beings can do this? and towed it out to the the middle of the desert and they're willing to pay for that um there's it, it's 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 almost hard to believe that a place where people are so nice and so loving and so caring and just so open and unapologetic right. and weird exists um i didn't even know human beings were capable of what, how they show up at, at that festival every year. Um, I say it like this, I, I truly believe it, like God willing, there isn't a year that I can't go. Wow. It's that important in your life. It's made I'll that big. I'll tell you the story. Yeah. The year I started Thesis, 20, summer 2019, my parents came into the city. I was living in New York. We're having lunch. My mom goes, hey, um, what about Burning Man this year? I was like, mom, you know, I've sunk a bunch of money. I'm not taking any money out of the business. Sure. Like we got a lot of stuff going on. I don't think I'm going to go this year. She looks at me. She's, she looks at my dad first. And then she looks at me and she goes, number one, I have access to your bank account. So I know how much money you have. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> and um, so she says, but if you don't want to spend money on it, it's not a cheap endeavor. Um. I would never deprive your father, myself, or anyone around you, the version of you that comes back from Burning Man. Wow. So we'll cover the whole thing. Wow. And honestly, I wouldn't take, I, I would never take a penny from that. Right. But just the fact that my 75 year old Jewish spiritual mother, who knows what I do out there, right? She knows all the bad stuff, she knows all the good stuff, um, is just like, I would never deprive me, your father, or any of your friends of the version of you that comes back and we're willing to invest whatever five, 10 grand to ensure that they have, that we have that person for at least a few months. Right. Just goes to show like that. It's not just me having a great time out there. It's everyone who comes back into contact with me reaps the benefits to enjoy whatever is emanating is. afterward. Right. Beautiful. 
that aside, you're, you said it before, you, you don't, you rather be with people than be alone. I've been this weird in your house right now. You've hosted many different events and you have for the last decade. What is it about you or that you desire that allows people to manifest in your life that are aligned with who you are at every given stage? I think I make people feel loved. Um, and I do that by asking good questions and listening to them. Um, I also don't expect anything from them. And so if someone shows, like, if someone doesn't answer a text back or doesn't call me back or, like, there's something in me where it just, I don't take any offense to it. And and I just, like, there's just something in me, whether it's, like, I just don't have all the information. And so, you know, when someone's really, like, in a funk, I just get it. And I can, like, sit with them, and I'm like, yeah, like, um, I think I'm pretty empathetic, and I'm very vocal about it. And, you know, when people are in a bad place, I learned this lesson the hard way. When people are in a bad place, um, sometimes they just need someone to be like, yeah, shit really sucks right now. That's enough. Um, and I... Yeah, and I can get on their side. So that, um, I think not expecting stuff from people. Mm. Like even when I host events, like there's never, uh, you know, outside of like when David comes and speaks, like I could host like a 50, 100 person breakfast and there would never be a moment where I'm like, hey, everyone, just wanted to welcome you all and let you know that this is why we're here and this is my... This is this is my product, and this is what I need to pitch, and please donate here. None of that. I never do it. Just come and enjoy. Just come and connect, sit. Um, I like to listen, and I follow up. Follow up. I look. Follow yeah. follow up is really big. Most people don't do it. Hey, no one follows up. Yeah. It's such a hidden hack, right? Like really good follow up, and it's. And follow-up for me is, like, when someone just, like, pops into my brain, it's, like, for me being, like, the light needs me to be, like, follow-up with them. So, and then I do a lot of closed-loop follow-ups. So, like, a follow-up could be, like, hey, just wanted to let you know I was thinking about you. That's a follow-up. That's just, like, a staying relevant thing. Um, or, uh, or a voice note. And the first thing is, like, no pressure to, to sink back. I just wanted to let you know I was thinking about you. And I love you. And here's a little update that you're just there you hold space for people yeah in this generation almost everybody from 18 to really 30 but anon are experiencing some form of anxiety depression and that's in part why we wanted to put this together as somebody who i'm sure has gone through that at an early age and is now at a, at a good place what allow you to get through that and what would be your advice to somebody struggling with it yeah my cure for anxiety now is just when it comes, I'm just, I wave the flag. I think for a long time I was just like, I shouldn't, I felt guilty for being anxious. Right. And I, I was just on the phone with a friend of mine who's been a friend of mine for 12, 15 years. And, you know, we may, we talk maybe like once every two years. A very successful marketing executive at a major company. And, you know, he came to me because, you know, 
um, married, kids, and, and he's just feeling like really unfulfilled. An epic job, best in the business at what he does, but like something's just like wrong. And I and I noticed that he was just like something's wrong. But you know, I'm so lucky because like you know I have this wealth and I have this incredible family and I'm healthy and I'm still able to do all these athletic things and and he wouldn't just give himself. It's like, allow it. It sucks. Allow it. And so now when that happens with me, I just tell people, how are you? Not great. No, I'm really struggling. Or I'll go to like the Ali and Jesse who I live with and I'll just be like, guys, like, I don't want to talk to you. I'm like really off. And then they'll, of course, they're great friends. So like, what can we do anything? And I'm like, no, you can leave me alone for a while. Right. And, like, I just noticed, like, that was the thing that I wasn't giving myself space for before. Like, I wouldn't admit it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, I would, I would try to cover it up. Some people call it, like, spiritual bypassing. Sure. I kind of, I kind of hate that term. Yeah. Um, but, um, that's what a lot of people, like, they fight it, right? They fight it. It's like this, and like, it's not, it's, I don't, I don't deserve to feel like shit. Right. No, you do. Like this is coming from the light. Receive it the same way that you need to receive the good stuff. The good stuff, which you know, a lot of times I refuse to receive. I refuse to receive, you know, love and affection and pleasure and money and like that's all stuff I'm still learning how to do too. Um, I also need to receive like this too is coming from the light because maybe I need to slow down. Maybe I need to, you know, come to grips with like stuff is not always going to be good and it's not always going to be explicable. That's the thing. It's like there's no explanation for the it's like this weird, like covert thing. Yeah. Adam, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. We'll definitely have you back on and maybe we'll get more into relationships and things of that sort. (laughs) But nonetheless, Adam Greenfeld, everybody. Thesis co-founder, check them out. It's helped Adam in his life. I sure as heck am going to try it as soon as we're off this episode. And we look forward to seeing you guys at episode number 11. Don't forget to like, comment, and share with your friends. We'll be back on soon. Thanks.